Welcome to the ninth episode of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about the trials and tribulations of female leadership from the perspective of someone who spent most of her career being the only woman at the table. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She comes all the way from Florida in the USA. Her career spans finance, retail, healthcare, and telecoms. She was appointed as a chief marketing officer at just 30, was named one of the top 40 under 40 global marketers, and became the world's first chief experience officer, and is known for how she leads with heart through business transformations. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Ingrid Lindberg. Hi, Ingrid. Claire. <laughs> How are you today? I am great. How are you today? I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited that you're here. I can't believe it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's a happy Monday, right? It's a good way to start a week. <laughs> very, happy Monday, very happy Monday. So just like to welcome all of the listeners as well. So Ingrid, I'm so thrilled that you're here because you're actually the first person that I asked if you would come on the Women in CX podcast before it was even a podcast, when it was just an idea, before I had any clue of how I was going to make it happen. But I knew I wanted you to come on this show because to me, I think you're absolutely what Women in CX is all about, your strength, your confidence, your authenticity, and you're just complete unapologeticness for being yourself. It's in, it's truly inspirational. Um, so, you know, you're the kind of woman that inspires others to take up space. Absolutely. And, you know, your career speaks volumes. Your title as it's appeared on the screen today, you know, the world's first CXO. But I'd really love today for our listeners to get to know the woman behind the success story, if that's all right with you. A totally deal. And you're too kind. I'm a little, I'm a little verklempt with that introduction, Claire. I'm going to carry you with me everywhere and <laughs> do all my introductions. What do you think? <laughs> Wait, I'd, I'd be more than happy to. I'd be more than happy to. And as I said, you know, you were, you were so kind to me from the start. So, you know, I really, really, really love that you're here. Um, so question number one, we're going to have to start with the pineapple. <laughs> oh, the pineapple. We love the pineapple. Yeah, because it's in your branding. It was the first words you ever said to me when we met on Instagram was aloha. Um, and yeah, with a little pineapple emoji at the end of the aloha. So obviously I know the story, but I'd love for you to tell the audience, what's the pineapple all about? Oh, for sure. I love, I love the question, right? I laugh a little bit every time I get it, but it's purposeful and there's a reason. Um, so first of all, um, I grew up outside of the U.S. for about the first 10 years of my life. And then I spent about eight years in Hawaii growing up on the islands of Hawaii, which are a part of the United States, but do not feel like a part of the United States. <laughs> so I always kind of preface with, I grew up with a lot of islands and frankly, a lot of pineapples on my dinner plates. Um, but the real reason behind the pineapple as far as why we use it as our brand is first of all, the, the pineapple is kind of that global symbol of hospitality. And if you think about hospitality, it's really all about how you treat visitors and guests and even strangers, right? How you welcome them, how you're kind to them, how you make them feel like they're a part of something. Yeah. So there's a lot of great representation because of the hospitality mm -hmm. aspect. Mm -hmm. And then kind of that secondary piece was the Hawaii piece, right? Mm -hmm. So um, growing up on an island, an islands around the world, and then specifically on the island of Oahu in Hawaii, 
Um, there's something that we talk about, which is called Aloha Aina, which is really about our love of the land, right? Live with the love of the land. And it's, you know, it's a, a nod to this kind of force that drives who we are and everything in the world. And it's about kindness and love. And so you take hospitality and you take that Aloha Aina mm -hmm. and what better symbol would there be, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that really is kind of what we represent at Chief Customer, first of all. And second of all, if you think about customer experience, that's a pretty good match, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I totally get that. I love it. Aloha, Aina. <laughs> Aloha, Aina, right? It's love and affection and peace. And it's just all the things that I think are important for us to stand for. So especially when we're talking about customers, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Customers and employees, frankly. Absolutely. So there you go. <laughs> you said growing up on lots of islands, lots of moving around, lots of um, travel. Lots what was that all about? <laughs> Lots of travel. So my father was in the military. He was an attorney. And um, because he was an attorney in the military, they get moved around a lot, right? They, they move to a lot of places. And so we lived outside of the U.S. So I was born in the Philippines. You know, we lived, I mean, literally all over. So Hong Kong and Japan and Panama and Costa Rica and Hawaii and uh, a small stint in Cuba. So there's just been this Kind of consistent moving. My friends say I have ants in my pants. But when you move every couple of years for the real formative years of your childhood, right, mm -hmm. uh, you get very used to a walking into a new school, sometimes that's speaking a completely different language than the one that you're used to speaking. So I remember my first day of schooling in Panama, right? I spoke a little bit of Tagalog and English and everybody was speaking Spanish. <laughs> So full immersion immediately. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so because of that, right, we moved a lot and it's, it's definitely helped my perspective from a, how small this world is and frankly, how to adapt and assimilate and study different types of people pretty quickly. So you can figure out how to be successful. Fair enough, Claire. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm sure I can imagine. Like, I suppose that's kind of like as a keynote speaker, I know you are these days, like being able to walk into that room and pull on that experience as a small child of having to walk into lots of different rooms where you, you didn't know anybody. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of advantages to, to that happening in the formative years. Um, but I know from listening to other podcasts and other watching other videos that you've made in my research that um, that life of an army child with um came with a lot of privilege in the yeah. early days yeah like I I don't actually know anybody else who had servants um at some point in their life <laughs> but what makes that story even more intriguing is that I I heard you say that you basically lost it all at one point in still in your childhood what happened there and what was that kind of experience like of going from having everything to struggling to make ends meet it's, it's a curious, it's a curious story, right? And when I, when I tell this story, people always kind of look at me a little sideways, right? It's the, what do you mean? So in a lot of places in this world, um, having people in your home that are helping run the household is a very normal thing, right? It's a very normal thing. And in a lot of the places that we lived, that was a very normal thing, whether it was a nanny or cooks or gardeners, um, and it's it's strange when I talk about it now because I couldn't fathom it at this point in my life. But growing up, it was just what happened. Mm -hmm. And the people who worked with our family also primarily lived with us, right? So a lot of people lived in our homes with us. And um, I do think one of the 
best stories about this is my mother got in trouble for paying my nanny too much money. So all of the other wives in the neighborhood that we lived in were paying half of what my mother was paying the woman who took care of me. And this woman, her name was Basilia, and she was completely a part of our family. I mean, she was completely a part of our family. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have memories of her that are so profound and in some cases so much more prevalent than memories of my parents. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but it was, you know, it was very much just kind of how life was. Um, so that being said, you know, lots that can be unpacked on that one. My parents got divorced and... Um, we ended up having to move back to the States and um, we went from, you know, I wouldn't say that we had everything, right? Because it wasn't, there was, there was never this idea of you could buy everything and you could get everything. And we had allowances that were very small and you had to save your money to go and buy something if you wanted something. And, you know, there, it was not a very extravagant life outside of having people who worked in the household, which I know sounds so strange to people. <laughs> but when our parents got divorced, literally lost everything. So my father was unfortunately one of those deadbeat dads who just disappeared and didn't help with any payments at all. Um, and so it was, it became a very difficult life. And it was, I mean, it was such a band-aid being pulled off. Uh, and there's a story that I have told that Claire, you and I have talked a little bit about, about walking in to make a purchase of something and having the money to do it, but not being dressed appropriately for the department store that I was walking into to make that purchase at. Mm -hmm. And just how that made me feel has frankly stuck with me since that day and is one of my biggest drivers. So it's mm -hmm. it's a fascinating kind of you know roller coaster that life can take us on, but um, I'm mm -hmm. thankful for it because it taught me a lot about what was important and what wasn't important. And frankly, both sides of that childhood experience taught me the fact that everyone needs to be treated equally. That's mm -hmm. a really important learning that I've had. So, um, and it was, once again, it was on both sides of it, right? So mm -hmm. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Deep, dark secrets of my upbringing, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I think it's, it's always amazing to hear how those stories or those moments in time are the things that kind of shape us in the future. And, you know, sometimes the biggest lessons we learn aren't through our successes they're through difficult times but you know the ones that we can confidently turn around and say it taught me something of value about my own personal value such as you know needing to treat people equally and truly believing that you know if you've experienced it for yourself it definitely will <laughs> be more, more fundamental as, a, as an experience um, but just taking us out of out of your childhood and I guess into a bit later in your career um, I read somewhere and it really made me laugh that you discovered that you had a taste for brown liquor in response to dealing with the boys clubs that you quite often found yourself in as an executive um, at board level as a as a female executive can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you've learned to deal with this like fraternity culture oh my goodness that's uh, that's one of one of my my kind of favorite moments where i wish sometimes i hadn't shared that story but it's i think so appropriate um so i was a part of a i was part of a book that was written a couple of years ago where there were a thousand women who had been invited to participate and then 10 of us were chosen to be in it and we were asked to write our story, right? Write our story. Um, it's a it's a fabulous piece. I mean, there's fabulous women that are highlighted in it. Um, it's words of wisdom from women to watch. I think it's actually out of production now, but regardless. And one of the stories that I told in there was about 
you know, frankly, being the only woman in a lot of settings, in a lot of settings. So whether it was at board meetings with our boards of directors, whether it was at executive offsites with our executive leadership team, um, there was an awful lot of times where I would look around at an event and I would literally be the only woman there other than the event planners. Mm-hmm. And that was a very interesting place to be in. And I was I was relatively young when I had my first big mm-hmm. jobs, right? I was a chief marketing officer at 30. Wow. So big jobs, young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I realized pretty rapidly was that what I was drinking didn't match what everyone else was drinking. And I, I'm not someone who cares a ton about a lot of kind of traditional sports in the US um, because of how I grew up and just because of what my interests are. So I could never connect about sports. Um, I really couldn't talk about my wife and my kids. Didn't have a wife, didn't have kids. (laughs) So, you know, the next kind of best option was to talk about bourbon and whiskey and scotch. And um, I remember the first time I tasted it and I was like, oh my gosh, it's horrible, right? It was, I don't even know what I was drinking. Someone handed me something and I sipped it and I did not realize what I was about to ingest. Uh, But it's something that, you know, frankly has just become a part of who I am, right? I mean, I I am known for fabulous taste in brown liquor and I actually enjoy it now. gave me a connection point right <laughs> oh so it did, it did again another lesson that you learned that did you good in later life but at least you learn to enjoy it I never have still to this day I um was at a party and I like had some of this whiskey called Lafroig yep. and I had no idea it does look like some brown liquor to me and um yes I poured myself a glass mixed it with diet coke the look of horror on the guy's faces <laughs> And to me, it just tasted a bit like TCP. So I didn't know what the fuss was all about. But yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm yet to yet to de- de- develop that taste for myself. Um, but I think well, this you stuff- don't have to, right? You don't have to. <laughs> no, that no. To be a tool, I found. Yeah, I, I think I might, I think I might have might still give it a miss. Um, but I think that story is a perfect example um, of kind of who you are as a person. You know, like, can you? your courage and um, ability to want to kind of find a way to not not fit in more more so how to adopt to the environment that's that's around you and make the best of it um but you come across as so confident all the time like I look up to you massively um and when I watched your, your videos and I listened to you speak and um heard you on other podcasts I just think wow I know when I grow up even though I'm supposed to be grown up I want to be like Ingrid so I just wondered, you know, the question I'm sure that's on all of our listeners' lips would be, you know, kind of where does this confidence come from and, and how have you kind of built it? So that one, that's hard for me, Claire, right? That's hard. It's, um, I think I, there's, there's two pieces. And one is a funny story that my mother loves to tell <laughs> about the first day she picked me up from Montessori school. Um, I was 18 months old, was going to, you know, Montessori school for the first day. And the directoress came out to um, meet my mother as my mother was picking me up from school. And the way that my mother tells this story, so 18 months old, so a year and six months, I was a baby, right? Mm. I was a baby. But the way that my mother tells the story is that the directress walked up to my mother and said, are you Ingrid's mother? And my mother said, I am. And the directress in charge of the school said, well, I don't need to be here anymore because your daughter is in charge. So I was bossy at 18 months. 
glossy at 18 months. And um, anyone who I've ever worked with, good and bad, right, will tell you I am very clear in what I think is the right answer. Um, and I'm very direct about why and how I think we need to move forward. And I will, I've learned, I've learned to listen to outside opinions and other thoughts. But once I've made a decision, I'm not very good at changing it. So that confidence can go both ways, right? I mean, it's been very helpful in a lot of ways, um, but there's also pieces and times where it has not served me as well because I haven't been as good at listening. Mm -hmm. So I've worked on that a lot in the last, we'll say five to 10 years. It's been a, a growth spot for me. But um, I think the main driver, not I think, the main driver, frankly, Claire, is that I realized that the only choice I had was to be who I was, right? I'm not someone who's comfortable in a navy blue suit. I'm not someone who's, you know, comfortable pretending that I know about pop culture or talking about sports. I have the things that I love. I have the things, you know, that make me who I am. And I learned pretty rapidly as I rose through my career, that the more I stuck to those things that made up who I was, frankly, the better I did. Mm. And I think that's it. I think we spend so much time trying to be someone that someone wants us to be, right? And I think that mm. um, if you just kind of figure out a way to silence as much of that noise as you can, mm. it's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful, right? You know, pretty powerful, but it was definitely, you know, I can say there's some nature and some nurture in there, <laughs> but it was, it was definitely a, a learning spectrum. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I think my mum has a really similar story, but I think I'm around two years old. And in her story, I can, I, I, I can have full on conversations with adults <laughs> and she'd talk about how, um, how, how charming I was of like adults that had this like massive personality as a very small child, not so much a, a bossy, but yeah, that kind of like nature of garrulousness, I think is the right word and like putting yourselves <laughs> out there. Um, but it's something I think, you know, whenever I have these amazing conversations with women, they talk about these turning points, like you just said when we realize actually who we are is the magical thing. And if we can feel like we can share that with the world in our most authentic way, when it, when we do it or when it happens, or, you know, there's some of the feedback I've had from the ladies that have been on the podcast so far, you know, being able to show up and show yourself is quite often a turning point, but it is that kind of like initial step of experience of how you're received I guess when you do that so I guess for, for me there were times in my life where I was being myself and people did not like it <laughs> of course, um, right? <laughs> and, yeah and and it was you know kind of like okay retreat what who do I need to be now but as I've got older absolutely especially as I've left corporate and I've got to be able to completely be myself and not worry about anyone else's values or who I have to be I, I definitely feel 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 very different um, and sure. I, I, I guess that brings me on to kind of the, the the next big question really is around kind of your role with other women um, in the kind of executive layer of society. Um, it's a, a level that not that many of us ever really get to see, but I was fascinated by a project that I know you started, which I just absolutely love the name of. I have to make sure to get it right. So Tata's at the table. <laughs> Tatas at the table. <laughs> Please, Ingrid, tell me more about Tatas at the table. <laughs> and I just giggle. Like I, it's, it's, you know, the passion projects, right? Claire? Yeah. Uh, so 
I was, gosh, I was 35. I was 35. And um, I had a big job, right? I had a big job. And there was one other senior woman at the company. And um, the CEO had said, you should get to know this senior woman. She's, you know, she's 30 years older than you are. You're very young. Another one of those, you're very young for your big job. And I'll never forget, I walked up to her. We were at a board meeting. So we were, you know, at some fancy resort, you know, whatever, with all of our executives from all the other companies who sat on our board of directors. And <laughs> I walked up to this woman and I said, hi, you know, I know I've worked here only for six months. I know we don't know each other very well yet, but I really respect you. I really respect your career. We're kind of alone here in this world, right? I mean, there's only the two of us that are female at this board meeting. Mm -hmm. And I would love, you know, I just, I would love to learn from you. You know, would you be so kind as to let me learn from you? And we were colleagues, right? We were colleagues. We were both paid by the same organization. We both had the same boss. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she said, no one helped me. Why would I help you? <gasps> My God. No. And uh, yeah, right? Like, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, Harvard has actually written quite a bit about this um, mm -hmm. in their business review. They call it second generation bias, right? Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of first level of women who cracked the ceiling yeah. and really hurt themselves doing it, yeah. right? And then there's the next generation, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll say women who are right now kind of 30s to late 40s, that, mm -hmm. that group of us, right? Yeah. And we're hurting our heads trying to crack the ceiling as well, right? It's not shattered yet. We're trying to crack it still. Um, but it was it was just one of those things where I was just so offended. I was just so personally offended. And, you know, I've been very lucky to have a lot of people look out for my career and help me in my career, women and men. Mm -hmm. um, but I looked around and I just realized there were not that many executive females I could learn from. Mm -hmm. So I thought, let's aggregate them. <laughs> So I run a, a group that's hosted on Facebook and it's called Tatas at the Table. And we have a public version, which is, you know, anyone is free to join, please do. It's kind of fun. And then we have a private group that's for female executives. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a safe space for people to talk about how hard it is to be in that space. I mean, we only see what, 6% mm -hmm. of CEOs globally are women still. I mean, come on, we've got a long way to go. So that's the Tatas at the Table. But we're 10 years in now, which is insane to me. And, you know, 2,500 people strong. So there's wow. hope there. There's hope. <laughs> there is. There is. I just, I just love it. Like, just the notion. I'm just imagining, like, the, the actual boobs at the table. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, I am the only set of boobs at the table, right? <laughs> we yeah. Actually, this will make you laugh. At one point, we handed out, we had, you could buy camisoles. Right. So for underneath your suit, yeah, yeah. it had the logo hidden. So when you put on your suit over your camisole, you'd never see that it said tacos at the table. Uh, <laughs> but it was like your power armor, right? Like yeah. go in and do your badass work. <laughs> uh, we sold a bunch of those. <laughs> uh, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. And and I guess just like reflecting, and by the way, I'm totally going to be on the free Facebook group and I hope that you do bring back camisoles one day because <laughs> I would love to have a little superhero uniform underneath when uh, I'm dealing with some of those male-dominated environments. Um, but it did make me just like kind of reflect there on like these generations of feminists, I guess, like or whichever wave we've, we've landed in. So yeah, like, you know, full credit to the women that went before us and had the hardest job of getting rights and um, in the workplace, starting to change the game. But I think you're right. Like I, I know that I've run into very senior women in my career 
um, in and out of CX who definitely have not wanted to help a younger woman um, or to do that kind of mentoring role. And and it was never clear to me that it would have been the reason that, you know, nobody taught me and it might be for your own good if you have to learn these tough lessons yourself. But I think that is what's different in our generation, right, is the, the recognition that we know that if we can lift other people up, and collectively, we can all charge at those glass ceilings together yep. that we've got a much better chance as a group than we do standing on our own. So I think that's a really... The tide, <laughs> the tide lifts all ships, right? Yeah. The tide lifts all ships. I think there's one little bit, though, Claire, that I'm you and I have not completely talked about, but I think it's such an important piece. So will you apologize? Apologies if I sway for a second out of Go it. Go for it. Go for it. You know, I I mentor, I run a a group, you know, I do coaching circles for very senior females and I take a couple of women on every year um, that I have personally coached pro bono um, that are generally younger and, you know, can't afford, can't afford the cost. Right. And it's just something that I feel is important to do. But one of the bits of advice that I gave one of my mentees recently, because we were having this very same conversation. And I said, look, I think one of the things I learned in retrospect, right? I look back at how I behaved when I was 30 Mm -hmm. and I didn't give that respect. Mm -hmm. And I didn't come in with enough humility Mm -hmm. because frankly, what I knew at 30 is Mm -hmm. nothing near what I know now and will be nothing what I know in another 15 years. And so I really wish that, you know, it's kind of that let's, let's curve both sides, right? Because I think that the approach is just as important as the response. And that's something that I hope I can help people with, right? Is come in and ask, right? Come in and ask with humility from someone who's done it before. Come in and ask with, you know, the right intent. And we might see different responses as well, right? So, and it's not been everyone. I mean, I've been super lucky to have, as I said, a bunch of people be very helpful. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's, you know, it's, it's all of us. It takes all of us. So back to the... It takes all of us to break the ceiling, right? Um, so we'll just we'll have to keep working. That's my that's my hope for us as women. <laughs> yeah, and I and I agree with you definitely. Like I, I guess thinking back, was I really that humble in my approach? Possibly not. But I think there's that kind of like dealing with the um, what's kind of deemed for millennials as a sense of entitlement that we're not we we don't quite quite know that we have it in comparison to other generations. We just assume that that's kind of how we should we should be and until we get a bit older a bit wiser and I've had a few more hard knocks we realize yeah shit that really isn't the right way to go about <laughs> trying to get help <laughs> here's what I think is super funny I feel like millennials have gotten a bad rap on this we because have. I'm not a millennial and I was an ass when I was in my 20s oh. <laughs> right I mean that had nothing to do with what generation yeah. I happened to be and I think it just yeah. was my age right yeah um, it's the the arrogance of youth and the arrogance of elders yeah Right. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But also, I think kind of with drive comes these accidental, like, um, negative sides to your strengths, right? Yeah. So, if you're ambitious and you're driven and you're determined, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But sometimes, how that can be interpreted by other people, especially if you're directing communication, is you know, <laughs> I get you, I get, I get you. In a dangerous spot, right? It's hard. Yeah. It's untenable, frankly. I mean. I think specifically as women, because we're expected to be nice and kind mm. and calm and, and strong and stand up. And I'm like, I can't do both of those. I literally could not, you know, I couldn't go into combat in high heels. So, <laughs> <laughs> you 
know, we'll, we'll get there. It's just going to be, we have to keep learning and sharing. So yeah, we will get there. Yeah. So it's, so it's confidence and self-awareness then I'm guessing is the kind of winning combo then for success. I think, I think so. I mean, I think so. I think there's a lot of humility that needs to come in, right? There's a lot of humility that needs to come in, but you also have to know your stuff. And there's yeah. a, a very delicate balance between knowing your stuff and actually kind of being humble about the fact that you learned it by making a bunch of mistakes. Yeah, I get you. You know? I get you. So I guess that leads me into my final question then. What would your, I know, I'm going to stay for long now. So fast. I'll have to have you back in the next series. So what would your final kind of parting words or pieces of, pieces of advice be for other women out there in CX? What would you like to say to them? <laughs> So we'll, we'll focus on C, women in CX. So women in CX, um, I think the, the best superpower that I found in my CX journey was that everything that I did was data-based, mm -hmm. right? Everything was data-based. Um, I am a firm believer in your opinion, although interesting is irrelevant, show me the data because everyone has an opinion. So find your data and use your data. That's really mm -hmm. important. I found that to be very helpful for me. Uh, the second thing, and we've touched on this a bit, right? The second thing is it really is about finding your voice. And your voice doesn't have to be always big or always loud. Your voice doesn't have to be small and soft, but your voice has to be your voice, right? There's no one who can tell you what your voice should sound like other than you. So you have to find your voice. And I think so often we're told to, you know, take up more space or be smaller or be more effective or be less effective. Yeah. <laughs> screw all of that. Find your voice, find your voice and use it. Um, and then third, I think this one is, this one was really important. I was talking to a couple of my friends over the weekend about doing this podcast and prepping for it. And we talked a lot about like, how do you, how do you help others? Right. And I think the third thing that I'll tell people is really pay attention to who you learn from, really pay attention to who you choose to learn from. Because there's a lot of information in the CX space. And what you have to do is you have to find someone that you actually want to emulate, mm -hmm. right? You have to find someone who you believe or who you have, you know, have seen produce results or whatever it may be, whatever that thing is that you're after, but you've got to find that. And I think those three, if you use data always, you find your voice and use your voice, and then you find someone to learn from that really is what you want to be like, right? Either as a practitioner, as a person, as a professional, choose any. I think those three set you up on a pretty decent course to do some pretty crazy good work. That's my oh. advice. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love all of those three pieces of advice. And I'd just like to thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show today. Um, it's been so <laughs> fun talking to you. So thank you for the invitation. I was delighted when you asked and even more delighted we got to connect today. Oh, thank you so much. Um, and just one more thank you to everybody that's been listening along today. And a final thank you to Joachim Thorne, our producer and our sponsors, Effectly. That's it for this week. Thanks, everyone. Say so bye now. Bye, Ingrid. Bye, bye. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Muscat. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Next week, we'll be getting commercial, talking to a woman whose expertise has CFOs raving about customer experience. See you then.